Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to ICO 101, a Crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Paul. What we do here is go back, 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 back. At ICO 101, we look at initial coin offerings, security token offerings, utility token offerings, and general crowd sale offerings from an average consumer's perspective. We preview pre and post sale offerings while engaging with the leaders of those companies in order to help you make an informed decision on how you want to participate in these tokens, securities, or initial coin offerings. ICO 101 Podcast is on the Crypto 101 Podcast feed, so please find Crypto 101 Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. Leave a positive rating and subscribe to it. It helps us stay in the top charts. Visit our website at ICO101Podcast.com. I'm very active on Twitter, so please follow me there at SUP Aaron Paul. While you're there, follow the show at ICO101Podcast. Send me all the private messages you want. I love getting them, and I try to respond as fast as I can. And just as a reminder, folks, I'm not a professional investment institution, bank, lawyer, or accountant. I'm not offering any legal, accounting, or financial advice. So please make sure you listen, take notes, research, and make your own informed decision. My last preview looked at Formosa Financial. As a follow-up to that preview, I have on today Ryan Terrablini, the co-founder and CEO of Formosa Financial. It was pretty cool to be able to ask him the questions I had in the preview. His patience and willingness to answer my one-on-one questions was much appreciated. As always, your feedback is also appreciated, so please reach out if your heart desires about this episode or anything else. Both me and the show can be found on Twitter, at SupAaronPaul or at ICO101Podcast. So without further ado, please welcome Ryan Terrablini of Formosa Financial. Ryan Terrablini of Formosa Financial, welcome to ICO 101. Thank you for having me. Let's just get after it, man. So tell we already did the preview on the company. I introduced the team because I, I think that your team yep. is very strong. And uh, like I said on the preview, I normally don't go through the team at the top, but I was right. I was pretty impressed. So Ryan Terrablini, tell us about yourself. Sure. So uh, yeah, Ryan Terrablini from the Bay Area, San Francisco area. Grew up around Silicon Valley. Um, after you know, getting my public education here, went to University of California Berkeley, and that was right at the kind of beginning of the financial crisis in 2008. So wow. not the best time to graduate from college. But given that tech was relatively less affected than other sectors of the economy, uh, did what most people did and tried to find a job at a startup. So that was kind of the beginning of my journey in tech. Um, and then I, I, got, I was lucky enough to work at Google for four years on Android. Uh, that was kind of the early days when the first phones were coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the app and developer ecosystem wasn't particularly strong then. So trying to catch up with Apple and what they were doing. And then the four years I spent there, by the time I left, you know, there's a billion apps on the store. We had a global business, um, and that was kind of the beginning of my journey into blockchain. So long, long path through technology from the mobile app ecosystem all the way into what's going on in blockchain now. Before we talk about your blockchain, I've had several guests on now, I guess. Several might be too much. I've had a few who have worked for Google. What's the hiring process to get into Google? I think it varies depending on what role you're applying for. For me, it was consisting of uh, a few phone interviews and then... Um, I think four or five on-site interviews, not like all on-site interviews within the same day. So you interview with different managers, different people that would be your colleagues. And they ask you kind of a series of theoretical questions, but also a series of like tactical questions. So it's more like a way to assess your your critical thinking skills, I'd say is what they focus on in the hiring process. 
and then they they assess your googliness, whatever that means. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I guess I passed that test. At that time, you're talking 2008, 2009. Was was Google as competitive to get in as it is today? I don't know if it was more competitive or less competitive because Google's. I mean, when I was there, Google had like maybe 20,000 employees, and now it's like 80,000 globally. So I don't know if the I don't know what the admit rate is like. I don't know if they're getting more applicants or what the deal is. But it was yeah, not that easy to get a job there. I would say. And you were number how what what number were you in Ripple? Uh, I was around thirty. I joined Ripple about a year after the company had been founded. So they had launched the uh, the Ripple protocol late 2012, and then I was talking to them late 2013, and then I joined at the beginning of 2014. So what got you into that? What got you into blockchain first, and then what? Why Ripple? Yeah, so it actually stems back to my time at Google. So when I was at Google, my role was uh, creating and enforcing the policies uh, on Google Play, the App Store. So like, what can apps do with your data? What can apps do uh, from an advertising perspective, from a payments perspective? And uh, one of the big areas of enforcement was payments, because Google wants its 30% of the rev share mm-hmm. on any app sold. So I had seen some developers actually integrate Bitcoin into their app as a way to circumvent Google's payment system. So I said, oh, what's this Bitcoin thing? I kind of heard of it before, so then I started looking more closely into it. I thought, oh, that's quite interesting because at the time, one of Google's challenges was finding ways to monetize users in emerging markets since the only payment methods Google supported were debit cards, credit cards, and those type of things. Mm. So I thought, oh, this blockchain uh, innovation might be an interesting way for uh, new developers to come into the system and monetize their apps. So uh, then I looked at Ripple, and Ripple has some very, very different capabilities compared to Bitcoin's blockchain. So that got me pretty intrigued. And then I happened to have had a colleague uh, at Google who had just gone to Ripple. So we got in touch and uh, we happened to be neighbors in San Francisco. And then the rest is history. There you go. So how did Formosa come to be? How did you and George get hooked up? And what made the two of you decide, hey, Formosa needs to be a Manx project. I'm going to bounce. I'm going to move to Taiwan. I'm going to leave Ripple. And here we are today. Yeah. So um, long story short, uh, I had spent some time in Taiwan before, actually, when I was on my team at Google. So that was our headquarter for Asia operations for China, Japan and Korea. Uh, So I'd always really had a really strong uh, fascination and uh, affinity for Taiwan. And last year I was in Oxford getting my master's degree in public policy uh, at the School of Government. So I had really um, thought a lot about Taiwan's uh, history and how much I really appreciated doing things in Taiwan. So I said, I really need to go back set up a business. The blockchain space is just getting started and I've got good experience and good connections there. So went back to Taiwan. Um, I've been friends with the CEO of the Bitcoin exchange there for some years. And uh, at the time, Jeffrey Huang, who's a famous entrepreneur and rapper there. I, I interviewed Jeffrey. Doing the Mithril project. Yeah, I interviewed him. He was like uh, interview number three for ICO 101 podcast. Nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with good company now. You get all the best projects from Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, so he's awesome. So, um, you know, basically I, I was just had just got back from grad school. I uh, was kind of figuring out what to do next. Uh, linked up with him and he's got, you know, really strong backing from investors there and very connected at every level. So said, hey, I want to do this thing in Taiwan, um, something around the concept of providing banking services to people in the blockchain space. And he said, oh, I know just the guy. I know this guy, George. You know, he's we've known each other since high school in California and he's three term, three term legislator. His family's got connections with banks. So I said, wow, OK, great. Let's talk to him. And then we, we hit it off. So it's been going on like that since February. Awesome. 
For Moso Financial is a financial service platform for all blockchain innovators. What does that mean, and what's the problem that blockchain innovators have that Formosa is going yeah. to solve? Really, what it means is, you know, we're a lot of what happens in the blockchain space. You kind of think of it like a parallel financial universe, right? So, you know, uh, traditional finance, obviously, people are moving in and out of cash or equities or other types of uh, traditional assets, right? But what we've seen 2017, even before that, right, even Ethereum itself was kind of like a, a public ICO, right? They raised a bunch of Bitcoin. They created this amazing new blockchain, Ethereum. Mm -hmm. uh, and now people are using that as the foundation to start all these new projects. But uh, they're all raising this, this in Ethereum, which is... Uh, you know, a highly volatile asset, right? So if you were running a startup, say in Silicon Valley, you'd go raise your funds from venture capitalists, you'd open your corporate bank account and you'd have cash in there, right? Right. But in the new kind of ICO world that we're living in, you know, you raise 40,000 Ether, uh, and then the price of it, the, I mean, just last week alone, right? Prices dropped 30%. Yep. So then you have 30% less runway. So how do you really manage your runway? How do you manage your cash flow uh, efficiently when you're working with such volatile assets? So that's the problem we're looking to solve. I feel like I'm quite familiar with what you guys are trying to do in terms of or the reasons why banks wouldn't do business with blockchain companies. But why wouldn't they? And, and if banks and I also asked this on the preview, too, I was just kind of thinking yeah. I was kind of musing, you know, like banks don't want to do business with blockchain companies. Like, why does that matter anyways as well? Like if a person wants mm -hmm. to get in the blockchain early, then they have to know where the market is, right, where it's mature, where it's not. And if somebody's working for a blockchain company, one would have to presume there are monetary risks based on the volatility. Right. And then why would anybody why would any blockchain company want to do business with somebody outside, like to say a lawyer or an accountant who's not on board with blockchain or with what the company has to kind of put up with at the time? Like, why does it, yeah. why does it matter? So, yeah, let me, let me start with the, the second point about uh, why would companies want to do that? So, you know, while everybody's working to innovate in this kind of blockchain based financial ecosystem, the reality is that we still have to do business in the, the real world, quote unquote, right? Right. You know, I, I still have to pay my rent in cash. Yes, I still have to pay my like not all lawyers are uh, Silicon Valley lawyers who are willing to take crypto. Right. Right. Especially because it is so volatile. Right. They need more stability in terms of their uh, accounting. So for that reason, I mean, yeah, you, you have to have a way to easily transition that crypto into cash. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that leads me to the banking issue. Right. So why would a bank not want to work with a blockchain company? And it's really around AML compliance questions. Right. How do you prove the source of those funds? Um, how do you show that that wasn't uh, derived from any sort of legal activity. Right. Um, and bank, lots of banks don't understand blockchain well enough to know what a good AML program looks like, right? Mm -hmm. So having to uh, educate them and then also demonstrably prove that your AML policy is sound is the, the biggest challenge. And if you think about it, most companies that are doing an ICO or most companies that are building a blockchain project, they don't really have the resources or the compliance know-how to prove that to a bank just to open an account, right? Right. So, so, so that's, do they, I mean, basically, we, we want to build that kind of compliance framework and then bring on our customers through that same framework in a way that we can prove to our banks that the, the money is safe and there's little banking risk. Let's just say I go through an ICO and say yeah. I have a realistic ICO raise. The ICO closes and I and I reach my hard cap. And now I have a hundred million trillion F because that's what's needed. <laughs> right. So I go to Chase Bank. Uh, to yep. open a business account, and they tell me, no way. So I come yep. to you and I say, I have all this stuff. What can I do with it that I sure. can't do with a bank? 
I guess. Yeah. What can, what so can I do with you? That we'd I can't open your account, right? And say, Hey, welcome. Welcome to Formosa financial. Here's your account uh, details, right? And here's your deposit address. And that deposit address could be in whatever crypto you raised in. That could be ETH, XRP, Bitcoin, whatever, whatever you're holding, you want to make a deposit. That's what you send it to us. Right. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, we're going to have a brokerage service connected to different OTCs connected to different exchanges. And that'll give you a seamless way to take some of that crypto and turn it into a cash deposit, right? So uh, w once you have that cash in there, then you can move that cash in or out like you would make to do to make a payment, either to your lawyer, to a developer, or even just hold that cash there kind of as a, a savings account. So how's the crypto safe? So we partnered with the best in class institutional custody provider, a very long track record of working with exchanges, hedge funds, um, even blockchain companies themselves to keep the crypto safe. So they've got really solid multi-signature wallet procedures, uh, different ways of managing hot and cold wallets. Uh, so by working with them, integrating it to the Formosa platform, you can be pretty sure your crypto is safe. And it's even verifiable if you were to look at the blockchain and look at your addresses. I've never raised an ICO, right? And mm -hmm. to the extent of my business experience is small businesses, right? So I've never dabbled in hundreds of millions of dollars personally. Mm. And my mind can't wrap around what makes liquidity different, needing like 25 mm. exchanges when let's just say, for example, mm -hmm. I raise all my F and let's just say that's in a, in a Coinbase account, right? Because Coinbase right. is safe and they can just pull cash out when they need, right? You just click withdraw and it's going to go to your USD. Why wouldn't somebody just use Coinbase to begin with if their concern is pulling out large amounts of money? You certainly could do that. Um, I think if you're a cost-conscious uh, CEO or a cost-conscious uh, startup founder, um, you're going to want to get as much bang for your buck as possible. For sure. And uh, by integrating to a number of exchanges, you can prevent what's called order book slippage. Is that a phrase you're familiar with? I can no, explain sir. it. So or order book slippage is the idea that if I'm trying to submit a very large sell order, um, I can actually move the market if it's not a particularly high volume trading day or particularly liquid order book. Okay. So if I were trying to move, say, uh, 10,000 Ethereum in one sitting, right, that can move the market down 5%, mm. depending where I'm trading, right? But if I were to take that 10,000 Ethereum order and chop it up into five 2,000 Ethereum pieces, then I can actually keep the keep the price across all those exchanges roughly the same, and ultimately my cost savings would be that amount that I didn't move the order book mm -hmm. because I prevented slippage by doing that. Well, I appreciate you answering that. And, and once you said that, that makes a lot of sense when you talk about, you know. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So-and-so dumped X amount of coins and it moved the market X percent. That makes a lot of sense. Exactly. And, but I got one more, one more question, an uh, ignorant question, I guess it is for me. <laughs> I understood on the surface what you guys are doing with the risk management protocol, right? So let's just say I have yeah. my pile of F and how do I know that F is going to be worth a hundred million trillion dollars, you know, 20 years from now. And you guys have um, protocols in place to try to make that stay there or to diversify or reallocate some of those assets so that it is safe and stable. And the first right. question that came up into my mind is, why not USD Tether? Yeah, you certainly could. Um, I mean, personally, I wouldn't be comfortable with the counterparty risk of holding Tether, uh, given some of the questions so mm -hmm. swirling around it. But I think there's a lot of... A lot of different methods uh, to maintain effective risk management. Um, so actually, one of the first things that we've done on the risk management front is uh, we partnered with a group called Compound Protocol. Are you familiar with them? No, sir. So Compound Protocol, also based in Silicon Valley, uh, backed by Andreessen Horowitz, Polychain, some of the bigger names in the, the crypto investment space. And uh, they're building algorithmic money markets on the Ethereum blockchain. So what this lets our customers do is they can actually lend out their excess ETH and earn interest on it, uh, which is fantastic, right? Because you think about when you park your money in a bank account, you're going to get a little bit of interest. Um, so that, you know, kind of reduces any uh, risk from inflation, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in crypto, obviously, it's much more volatile. So you have to earn a good amount of interest to kind of hedge that risk away. But it certainly helps that you can actually accrue additional Ether uh, just in case the U.S. dollar value of your Ether drops significantly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we just actually announced that they announced that partnership on Friday. We're going to have some follow up announcements um, this coming week. So excited to work with them. Look, I'm playing devil's advocate when I ask these questions, right? Because my mm -hmm. general mind is I'm a simple guy. Um, I also recognize my weaknesses in business acumen. And when it comes to bigger businesses, bigger capital raises. So when I saw your company, I get that there has to be a financial services for blockchain companies at the moment right so yeah. uh, i appreciate you answering those questions uh no, of course you, here to here to educate yeah and we're, and, we're, uh, and we're definitely 101 and so yeah and so so talk about your your payment services solution and talk about the the banking partnerships in general how does it work so they come to yeah. formosa financial and you guys have a relationship with these banks and and basically this bank is trusting you to say hey this company that we're banking with 
this blockchain yeah. company, they're legit, and here's why. And so you guys yeah. have to edu- a educate the bank on why they should use you, and then you have to have that credibility behind you. And then you yeah. are taking on a company. You need some of your, whatever, however that partnership works. We need liquidity. We need fiat, etc. Can yeah. you talk about the how that partnership works and why it's so important? Well, so it's really the foundation of uh, what we're building, right? So, you know, going back to your question earlier about how do you keep the crypto safe? Well, there's also the question, how do you keep the fiat safe, right? That's right. And uh, the way you do that is through a bank. That's like the, the custodial partner on the fiat side. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the real thing. So there's a couple key considerations for the bank. The first we've already talked about is the, the AML compliance. So how do they make sure... Uh, the crypto that we're turning into cash, how is that all safe? How is that, uh, how are we sure that's not, you know, dirty money? Um, so we have to build a really robust AML compliance program to assuage those fears of the bank. Yeah. The second major area that uh, many banks are worried about in the crypto space is more business risk. So how do they, a lot of U.S. dollar payments uh, internationally are cleared by correspondent banks. Right. So um, this is actually one of the problems that Tether ran into. Um, when they, so they were banking with some banks in Taiwan and, uh, when the, the correspondent bank of KGI in Taiwan found out that those U S dollars were going into a crypto exchange, they cut off the correspondent relationship. Mm. So, uh, basically being very clear on what the limits are with the bank and knowing what their, who their correspondent is and, uh, what their expected payments volume is and how you go about doing that, that can minimize, minimize a lot of the business risk to your bank partner. So we're very focused on understanding those limits and then also building out a network of bank partners where we can effectively limit the risk. Presumably the bank partners that you would have to have a bunch of them across the world, right? That, that helps, certainly. Um, and there's also you know a handful of banks that already work with crypto exchanges. Um, and you think about you know what the banking needs of an exchange are uh, for fiat to crypto. And that's much more high risk than even what we're doing, right? Because there's you know, thousands of individual accounts that are coming in. That just creates more risk, right? Versus what we're doing where we have, you know, maybe 10 to a couple hundred uh, corporate clients, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very kind of different type of KYC process that you need to conduct on a company versus an individual. Right. Um, so by actually opening accounts at the banks where the exchanges already bank, uh, that's another way to limit the risk really well. So a, what if a USA blockchain-based company does an ICO or does an STO? Mm-hmm. They register yeah. with the SEC. They got They have their crypto, but the U.S. banks still won't bank with them. They come to you. You're in Taiwan. Can they come to you in Taiwan? Can Taiwan have a relationship with a United States blockchain company? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's actually a whole sector of uh, Taiwan's financial sector, uh, which is focused on offshore banking for international companies. Um, so yeah, the we basically can. Uh, open an account or custody fiat currency for international companies and any currency but Taiwan dollar. So that's kind of one of the main uh, advantages that we're proposing in this platform. And what's the user interaction in terms of if I'm if I'm a company and my I'm in the United States or I'm in mm-hmm. China or yeah. I'm in wherever I'm at in Europe. How do I have access to you guys? Like, how's your customer support structure going to be? How, so it, it'd be kind of like uh, you're registering for an exchange account, right? So you, you open up the account. You uh, We ask you a series of questions. You know, where is your company incorporated? Who are the beneficial owners? Uh, what is the company's background? 
how did you guys raise the money, right? So kind of get some some due diligence out of the way about the company's background and then go through that kind of customer onboarding process. And then from there, it's uh, similar to the process I described of depositing the crypto and we help you broker it into cash. Okay, pretty straightforward. Yep. Well, let's get into the token raise then. And I'd like to talk about your guys' timeline in that as well and the, okay. the, the function of your guys' token. So let's talk with the yeah. about the token function first. The mm. FMF token has a... Uh, you guys have what's called a proof of membership mechanism. Can you talk about that? I thought that was really interesting, uh, and especially yeah. when it comes to the security mm -hmm. side of it. Definitely. Yeah, so I mean, uh, having looked at a lot of token projects and their proposed economic models, I think the one that seems to most consistently kind of deliver value for all the stakeholders in a given ecosystem seems to be staking models, right? Right. So ones that incentivize participation or use of services uh, by holding the token itself over a long period of time, right? It was, prevents dumping and prevents all sorts of other uh, activity that wouldn't be beneficial, right? So in, in our case, uh, you think about what we're doing. We're building out a platform that connects the kind of crypto world to the fiat world, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, on that crypto world, we're integrating a bunch of services. And on the fiat side, we're going to integrate a bunch of services. So kind of the, the way we want to, um, you know, kind of work with high net worth customers or really high value add customers is have them stake our tokens. Uh, and even pay for some of the services that we're going to offer in that token. Okay. Uh, and you can see that being a successful model for lots of the exchanges right now, right? Yeah. You look at Binance Coin, OKB. Uh, so we've kind of modeled our proof of membership uh, token utility uh, on those situations. It seems to be the way it's going. And you guys had a, a, a two-phase rollout system. And Ooh. and with your guys' raise, eight, it's roughly, uh, approximate, 8 million soft cap to 16 million hard cap what where does the roadmap swing one way or the other with your with the phases that you guys of the services you want to roll out yeah it kind of it can kind of swing with the market too so we actually to be clear on the on the raise we successfully hit our hard cap at the end of may oh wow. so congratulations we that's awesome 40 40 000 ETH. yeah great so well, uh, yeah since matter. then we've been <laughs> so what's, uh, what's the roadmap then so where are we going Oh, the roadmap. Okay. So, I mean, exciting stuff on the roadmap. Um, so back to your kind of question about how does the banking partnerships work and all that stuff. So we've actually secured a license to uh, operate a virtual currency exchange. Um, awesome. So not that we're getting into the exchange business, but what I was saying earlier about how we can integrate to all the exchanges, how we can go from crypto to fiat, that's super, super uh, relevant to the type of business we're trying to operate. Um, so basically since we closed that raise, um, that's the direction we've gone on the phases and now we're building out the technology platform to support that integration of the crypto custodial through that, uh, institutional custody partner, mm -hmm. uh, along with the bank partnerships that we've established along with this kind of stuff that we're doing at the tech platform, like with compound protocol and some other people we're working with. So, uh, I I'd say on the phases, we're like, you know, getting deeper into phase one, uh, moving towards phase two as we kind of get more operational. Well, I mean, once you what I mean, once you put the capital raise behind you, it has to feel good. How did it feel when you guys hit the hard cap? Oh, it was ex exuberant. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was a uh, good solid uh, you know, 3-4 months of work, just nose to the grindstone, keep going, keep talking to people, believe in the project. Um, mm -hmm. we have really strong backers, like great great investors that are connecting us to other people in the space. Um, so we're super lucky to have them on board. And then now we're kind of in this uh, middle phase where we're deciding when to list the token, where to list the token, 
uh, given the market conditions aren't very good right now, we're in a bit of a holding pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the next big, next big kind of milestone for us. In addition to all the work that we're doing on the platform and partnership side. Man, that's great. So look, I want to conclude by asking you personally some questions that I asked at the end of my preview. And like I said, I'm just curious how your team sees the future. I see where the business needs are today. How long do you guys think you're going to be able to survive as a company once the current conditions in crypto change? What happens when companies start paying their employees in crypto? What happens when there is so much money in the market that liquidity isn't an issue anymore? And what happens when stable coins take off and and your guys' risk management protocol isn't that big of an issue or needed to hedge against crypto market volatility? Where do you guys see Formosa Financial in the next 10 years? How do you sure. so I think, yeah, you, you rightfully bring up the fact that the market is changing very quickly. Um, but having said all that, I think the services that we're offering are, are core services that aren't easily uh, integrated into kind of a one-stop shop. So we always we feel like there will always be a need to, uh, you know, keep safe custody of crypto and fiat. For sure. We always feel like there will be a need to move back and forth between those asset classes. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily just on a singular exchange, right? It's a global right. business. Uh, there's exchanges with different advantages, different levels of safety, different trading fees. Um, so by integrating our business into them, we can really offer wholesale rates, which is something individuals wouldn't be able to get themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of see that as as one of the core advantages of what we're building. And then in the future, yeah, the, the market and the conditions are going to keep changing. But uh, we feel by serving clients who have immediate needs we're going to keep understanding and evolving our risk management offering to kind of meet the needs of the market at that time so hard to say exactly where we're going but i'd say um you know we have a pretty deep level of experience on multiple layers of the system and you know it's hard to replicate that know-how um you know so we'll see where the market goes but we're excited to keep working on it well i appreciate you answering um answering that question. And so where can people learn more about you guys? What are you, what are you looking for with the community? You guys are trying to get the word out. You guys are on ICO yeah. 101, but you've hit your hard yep. cap. What, what are you looking for from the community? Yeah. So I think we're interested in, uh, you know, bringing people in who are interested in kind of these fundamental issues of um, both on the crypto side, like what are the coolest innovations in blockchain, uh, which projects really fit into the vision that we have of providing these services for companies in the space. So like people who are more interested in like some of the the B2B considerations, the global policy considerations and uh, the tech stuff too. So people who are interested in those conversations, I encourage you guys to join our Telegram. We've got great community management group. Just interesting conversations happening around the space. For sure. Yeah, I'm in your guys' Telegram as well. It's a, it's a good group. I like it. Thank you. Ryan, thanks so much for being on ICO 101. I appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, you answering the questions and let's keep in touch. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yo, yo, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then check out the links on the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to ICO 101 Podcast by going to the Crypto 101 Podcast feed that is found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox and leave a positive review. Please follow me on Twitter at Sup Aaron Paul, and don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter as well at ICO101Podcast. Until next time, peace.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.